I'm Matthew Burner with Burner Farm and Ranch in Pilot Point, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we've got a shortage of just about any type of forage in Texas this year thanks to drought, and that is affecting silage producers. We'll go to the Texas Panhandle and check in with one silage producer there, see just how short his crop looks this year. That story coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As the cattle market gets stronger, it's maybe time for livestock producers to think creatively about opportunities ahead. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll let you hear what one economist has to say. The third season of the Texas Beef Council's BarberQuest video series is now streaming on Hulu. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more from the executive producer of the show on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Just about any type of forage grown here in Texas is in short supply this year, and that is definitely the case with silage. Alan Monroe grows wheat, corn, and sorghum silage for dairies in the Texas Panhandle. And this year, he says he has struggled to keep his crop growing. We just can't keep them wet. We had 100-degree weather and wind, and you just couldn't keep them wet. They just... um, didn't grow very tall because normally this stuff's like 10, 12 foot tall. Uh, with the heat being over 100 degrees during pollinating time, a lot of it didn't pollinate. So that's where you get your weights from your ears. So um, it's, the tonnage is going to be down. Uh, I've, I know of a guy here that's already chopped about 4,500 acres and is averaging about 14 tons. And that's way, way below average. And that's way short of what he usually grows. Normal year, it's lush green this time of the year. Like I said, it's probably anywhere from 12, maybe even 14 foot tall. Big old ear, fully, you know, big around and all the kernels are fully developed. And uh, but this year, it just, as you can see, it's just short. Um, It has a real little ear on it and it won't make very much tons. Monroe says the rising costs of inputs and the drop in yields are both taking a big financial bite out of his farm this year. The recent rains may cause many Texas wheat farmers to plant early this year, but Westbred Wheat Regional Agronomist John Fenderson says planting early brings new challenges with it. When you plant this early, you're going to take some, some yield away, potentially. Uh, early planting always t- takes away from grain yield, but you hope to make it up in the form of forage. But planting early brings in some insects and some diseases that we might not normally uh, put up with. 
like Hessian fly, which has been a big problem in some areas of Texas over the last few years. Hessian fly is undoubtedly going to be worse. One disease that may be a little bit worse will be uh, wheat streak mosaic planted a little bit earlier, especially if there's volunteer wheat out there that has not been controlled. So people need to pay attention to that stuff. They really need to scout their fields. And Fenderson says fall armyworms can also attack early planted wheat. I've seen fields that have been planted early this time of year in the past, and growers come back. Might, might have been gone for a weekend. They come back, and the wheat's gone. They where's my wheat. Well, when we start getting a little bit of rain, we tend to see some armyworms come in, and armyworms can really wipe out a, a field of small growing wheat. And that's why it's important to scout any early planted wheat fields on a regular basis. The cattle market has gotten stronger as we've moved throughout this year. James Hunt talks with one livestock economist to get his take on how cattle producers should use this rising market to their advantage. Drought has taken a heavy toll on ranches here in the Texas High Plains and around the country with significant herd reduction forced by a lack of forage. But as everybody in the business is talking about, strong beef demand coupled with the thinner cattle supply is setting the conditions for a very strong cattle market. Justin Benavidez is the Texas A&M AgriLife economist for our area. Here's his advice to area livestock producers regarding their current inventories. Calling for your cow herd probably should have already happened. You know, we're here in the beginning of September and that calling should have already happened. So now the key is to get the most out of the cows that you maintain to make sure that you're adequately providing for those calves in terms of their ability to market. Think about some creative marketing opportunities. If there's some timing aspects that are valuable, you can also think about the potential for retained ownership, right? Um, evaluate the costs and returns from retained ownership in the upcoming year because calf prices will be so strong. Corn is expensive, but at the moment, the price of corn when compared to the price of gain in the feed yard is in a profitable setup. And even if your operation is on the smaller side, Dr. Benavides says that's not a reason to rule out retained ownership. I think it's worth evaluating critically, and I know some of our folks don't have enough to make a full pin, but even partnering with a neighbor or partnering with the feed yard or any of those kinds of activities that you can use to access more of the marketing dollar, because we do expect calf prices to go up all along the supply chain. As Dr. Benavidez visits with producers around the region, one opportunity to hear from him is at the Hemphill County Mini Ag Conference coming up Monday, September 12th in Canadian. More on that event tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Beef Council has released a new season of their popular TV series, Barbequest. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at how this new season promotes Texas beef. From beef ribs to barbacoa and much more, Barbequest Beyond the Pit offers viewers a unique look at world-famous Texas barbecue. To talk more about this series, Season 3, we go to Rachel Chow. She is Director of Consumer Marketing with the Texas Beef Council and also Executive Producer of the program. And Rachel, welcome to our show and tell us a little bit more about Season 3 of uh, Barbequest. Well, thank you for having me. We are so blessed that we get to have a season three of our award-winning series, Barbequest, where we travel all across the state of Texas and we eat delicious barbecue, which is, you know, a tough job. We have had such a great time filming the show over the last three or four years, but with season three, we do something a little different. Not only do we go and eat delicious barbecue, but we also go visit cattle ranches. We 
visit these ranches and we want to teach consumers about how delicious barbecue is made because of all of the hard work that happens out there with raising cattle. These are full length, 25 minute shows. So we spend a little time just really educating and showing people how delicious and how much work goes into that wonderful piece of brisket. All of our season three episodes, there's four of them, are on Hulu. So anybody who has a Hulu account can view them there. If you don't, no worries. You can still watch on YouTube or at BeefLovingTexans.com. All episodes are available from season one to season three on all of those platforms. So you can binge watch lots of barbecue and then be really, really hungry. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Agriculture and baseball make a good fit, especially if you're a fan of the movie Field of Dreams. Gary Joyner takes us to a real-life combination of agriculture and baseball right here in Texas. I'm with Chris Goodwin, president of the Johnson County Farm Bureau. We're in Cleburne at a ball game of the Cleburne Railroaders. And Chris, this is an important night for agriculture. Tell me about it. We started this on a venture just to have a wife in our conference here and a little tailgate party and ask for permission and from John Junker, that's the owner of the Cleburne Railroaders and managing partner. And he kind of gave us the reign to do what we wanted. And as we grew with this, we've turned it into this whole night. We called it the Johnson County Harvest Festival. And from that, we're getting sponsors. We've got all of our Farm Bureau trailers up. We've got others that are trying to come. It was a little short notice, but we've turned this into the whole ballpark is our tailgates, what it's come down to. So it's, it's been a great effort. And 4-H is one of the benefactors tonight. 4-H is a benefactor. The money that, that we're making, we're going to give back to the 4-H kids. We've got them all out here helping with different things and uh, throughout the whole night. You know, the parking, uh, the sales, we're going to sell some jerseys after a while, things like that. All that money goes back to help 4-H kids that we get to spend on the kids here in Johnson County. So it, it's, a, it's a blessing all the way around. We're tying it all together. That's what it's about. Agriculture in Johnson County, difficult year like so many with drought. Y'all were dealing with the elements, it sounds like. Well, like everything in the state of Texas, we're, you know, we weren't exempt from it. We still had it. We were in a drought. That, you know, everybody compares it to 2011. I remember 1980 when we were this bad, uh, this long dry spell that we didn't have the moisture and we've been paying for it ever since. Uh, we've been fortunate to get rains here in the last few days. Very welcome, still need more. We're a long ways from out of this drought. But it, you know, the awareness of the drought is not just a localized thing. This is spread you know, nationwide across the, you know, the whole western side of the United States. And you know, we're just a piece of the pie in this. So uh, glad to get the rain, hope everybody can get it. And, and not just another ball game in, in the traditional sense, but there's agriculture from the concession stands to the shirts, to the towels, to the corn on the cob eating contest. Everything tonight we based on corn. The menu's based on corn. Uh, you know, our little sandbox out here is corn, you know, that kids could dig for prizes in. Uh, the whole menu, corn dogs, Frito pies, everything is based on corn. We got the corn cob eating contest, see who wins that, you know. Uh, everything is about, you know, the harvest of corn. This is what we do this time of year. That's Chris Goodwin, president of the Johnson County Farm Bureau. I'm Gary Joyner for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network in Cleburne. State animal health and wildlife officials have confirmed another case of chronic wasting disease in Texas. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And increased insulin levels in horses is related to a serious condition called laminitis. 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Increased insulin levels in horses is related to a serious condition called laminitis. Dr. Bob Judd says diagnosing this condition can be a challenge. A common condition in older horses is Cushing's disease, which is caused by a problem in the pituitary gland. The disease is actually called pars pituitary intermediate dysfunction, or PPID, and many horses with PPID have insulin dysregulation also. Dr. Lisa Tadros presented a study at the AAP convention on 38 horses concerning their insulin levels, laminitis history, and radiographic evidence of laminitis. Horses were classified as insulin normal, mild or severely insulin increased. The horse publication indicated the owners reported laminitis in 37% of the horses, but the researchers found 76% actually had some degree of laminitis. Horses with owner-reported laminitis were more likely to have high insulin levels, and the more severe the insulin levels, the more severe the laminitis. Resting insulin levels were higher in horses with moderate to severe changes on x-ray versus mild changes with lower insulin levels. This tells us that there are lots of horses that have mild laminitis and the owners are not aware of this until the disease becomes moderate to severe. PPID typically is suspected in horses with long hair coats that do not shed out after the winter. However, some horses with PPID look basically normal. Any older horse over 15 years of age with unexplained laminitis, loss of muscle, weight loss, decreased performance, and a pendulous abdomen, abnormal sweating, and increased drinking could have Cushing's disease. Myolaminitis can go unrecognized and is likely a good idea to screen older horses with a fasting blood insulin level and an ACTH blood level to check for insulin dysregulation and Cushing's disease. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. State animal health and wildlife officials have confirmed another case of chronic wasting disease here in Texas. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is considering a new chronic wasting disease zone in Gillespie County following the detection of the fatal neurological deer disease in a deer breeding facility in that county. It is the first time that CWD has ever been found in Gillespie County, which includes the cities of Fredericksburg, Harper, Grapetown, and Lukenbach. The department said CWD was detected in a sample from a one-year-old white-tailed buck that died. The sample was submitted for testing as part of a required CWD surveillance program. As a result of the detection, all deer in the facility have been secured. Other breeding facilities that have received or shipped deer to the facility over the past five years are now under movement restrictions as a precaution. TPWD and the Texas Animal Health Commission are working to determine the extent of the spread of CWD and the source of the infection. Animals infected with CWD shed prions into the environment that can infect other susceptible animals, including white-tailed deer, mule deer, sika deer, red deer, elk, and moose, 
for years. Infected cervids may have CWD and not show symptoms for years, all the while potentially infecting other animals. TPWD says testing for CWD allows wildlife biologists and animal health officials to get a clearer picture of the prevalence and distribution of CWD. And proactive monitoring can greatly reduce the risk of spreading the disease further to other captive or free-ranging animals. So TPWD officials are working towards delineating and establishing a new CWD zone in Gillespie County to be implemented later this fall. We'll have more on this as additional details become available. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market picked up where we left off Friday. We kicked off the trading week Tuesday with a higher close in both live and feeder cattle. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The uptrend in the cattle futures market continued on Tuesday. We left off Friday on a high note, and we continued that on Tuesday as we kicked off the first trading day of the week. October live cattle up another 50 cents, closing at 145.05. The December up 62 at 150.87. February live cattle up 82 cents, closing at 155.20. Feeder cattle finishing higher also. September feeders up 30 cents, 184.17. The October up $1.15 at 186.10. November feeders up 77 cents. 187.02. Cash fed cattle market quiet to start the week. We did see some asking prices coming out of the south at 144. No asking prices reported out of the northern states yet this week. Boxed beef higher on Tuesday. Choice up 98 cents at 260.40. Select up 323, 241.81. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Carl Herman sold cattle in Caldwell at Caldwell Livestock Commission Company on Wednesday. Carl, how did the sale go? Uh, we had a good sale yesterday, uh, Larry. Uh, had over 500 head, which I thought was pretty good considering we got four inches of rain on Tuesday. Uh, on a steady cow market and calf market, uh, uh, we had 68 sellers and 41 buyers. Uh, we had over 100 cows and bulls yesterday. Slaughter cows 30 to 88. Slaughter bulls 75 to 118. Stocker cows 650 to 1200. And no pair. On the uh, calf side, on the steers, two to three weight steers, 150 to 175. Three to four weights brought 150 to 207, 4 to 5 weights, 155 to 217, 5 to 6 weight steers, 160 to 205, 6 to 7 weights brought 140 to 173, and the 7 to 8 weights, 140 to 152. Uh, going over to the heifers, 2 to 3 weights, 140 to 180, 3 to 4 weight heifers brought 160 to $2, 4 to 5 weight heifers, 150 to 195, 5 to 6 weights, 140 to 181, the 6 to 7 weight heifers brought 120 to 160, and we didn't have any 7 to 8 weight heifers yesterday. So, uh, 
overall, we had a good sale. Uh, glad we had over 500 yesterday, uh, a little more than I expected. And uh, uh, the grass is growing, getting green, and, and uh, everything looks pretty good. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Okay, my number is 979-820-5349. Call the barn, 567-4119. If you're in the Giddings area, call uh, Max Ebner at 540-8676. We appreciate you, Carl Herman. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neighbor, thanks so much for listening to Walking the Pins here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished higher on Tuesday. October hogs up a dollar seven ninety one ten. The December up eighty cents at eighty three fifty. Class three milk was mixed. The nearby September contract down nine cents at nineteen sixty six a hundred weight. October milk up thirteen at twenty oh seven a hundred. The cotton market managed to eke out some gains in Tuesday's trade, despite the fact that there's a lot of bearish news hanging over this market. Things like the strong U.S. dollar, the Chinese COVID-19 shutdowns, and a falling stock market, all keeping a lid on prices. But as I said, we managed to close higher with December cotton up 34 points, 103.55, the March up 24 and $1.38. December 23 cotton up 49 points. At 82.41. The corn market continues to trade the weather. We had mostly a hot and dry weekend in the Corn Belt, the exception being southern Indiana, where they did get some heavy rain and flooding. But overall, hot and dry weather usually supports prices. That's exactly what happened on Tuesday. September corn up 11 and three quarters at 6.80 and three quarters. December corn up 10 and a quarter, 6.76 a bushel. Slight gains in both hard and soft wheat on Tuesday. New crop July, Kansas City wheat up seven cents at eight seventy-five and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up two and a half at eight forty-one a bushel. In the energy markets, October natural gas down sixty-two cents at eight sixteen. October crude oil unchanged eighty-six eighty-seven a barrel. The financial markets lower Tuesday afternoon. The Dow down 198 points at 31,121. The Nasdaq down 93 at 11,537. The S&P down 19 points at 3,905. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.